Our scripture lesson this morning is taken from the book of Exodus, chapter 3, beginning with the first verse. Listen, will you, for the word of God as it's proclaimed through these words of the author of Exodus. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to the Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go out to the Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. The word of God for the people of God. The season of Lent began this week with our Ash Wednesday service. It's really one of the most poignant times of the year for me. I actually enjoy the season of Lent and how it calls us to a deeper place. This week it seemed especially poignant. On Ash Wednesday, you see, we make our confession before God. We confess the fact that we have not loved the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our minds, with all our strength. 
We confess that we have not loved our neighbor. We confess that we have not loved ourselves. We confess. And then we consent to being marked by ashes, a symbol of our limitedness, a symbol of our mortality. This service is a somber recognition that we are not God. It begins a season of reflection and humility, a season of doing all we can do to return to God with our whole heart. The tradition at Greenland Hills when I served there years ago was that on Ash Wednesday, everyone would receive just a small little snippet of the palm branches that had been carried uh, in the prior year's Palm Sunday service. They were dried pieces of palm. Everyone received it when they walked in the door for the Ash Wednesday service, and at the beginning, they would use that dried piece of palm branch a symbol, as a symbol of the brokenness that exists between themselves and God. And then after a period of silence and meditation, they would come forward to rid themselves of their sin by placing their palm leaf into a small fire on the altar. One by one, the people would take their palm, their piece of palm, and they would come forward to the altar, and then they would form a circle around the entire sanctuary. On this particular Ash Wednesday, an eight-year-old boy by the name of Andrew Cavus and his two buddies, Noah and Sawyer Thompson, were pretty excited about the fire. They got as close as they could to the fire as we were making our circle around the sanctuary. I thought they were intrigued by the ritual and having a, <laughs> an ex- sacred experience, but probably not. So to close the service, we would each turn to our neighbor with some of the ashes, and we would make the sign of the cross on their forehead, and we would use the traditional words, repent and believe the gospel. So I started the ritual to myself, uh, to my left, and it went around person to person. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. The ashes came all the way around to my right-hand side, and right beside me was Andrew. He whispered in my ear, do I get to do you? And I said, yes. After he received his ashes from his friend Noah, he turned to me, made the sign of the cross on my forehead, and said, rebel and believe the gospel. I think Andrew got it exactly right. I have held that word in my heart for years and years. There are times that call for a rebellion. We are called to rebel as we live out the gospel. There are times when we must disturb the systems that perpetuate evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. There are times when repenting or returning to God in the language we used on Wednesday night requires both the spiritual and the practical discipline of rebellion. 
The word that Andrew gave me so many years ago, he's in college now. Indeed, we are sometimes called to rebel against the forces of wickedness that keep us unable to return to God. Can I get an amen? Amen. In our service on Wednesday, we used the words return to God and receive God's grace. So here's what I want you to hear. I believe we are in a season of rebellion. We'll call it resistance, rebellion, resistance. We are in a time of rebellion, and that is our way to return to God. If that is so, I also want to say we are in a time when it is crucial that we also receive God's grace, grace that will sustain us for a season of resistance, Grace that always surrounds us, supports us, forgives us, empowers us, teaches us. Grace that shows up when we most need it. Grace that leads us through 40 days of Lent, through betrayal, through spiritual violence, or through real physical violence as that which claimed the life of Jesus. We need grace in this season of rebelling and returning to God. Yet, I believe that's one of the hardest things for us. Maybe not for you, but for me, one of the hardest things is to recognize and receive the moments of grace that are all around us that may even show up at a funeral service when there's a bunch of bishops in the room. Those unexpected moments of grace. Sometimes we're just moving so quickly, we can't slow down enough to notice grace when it's offered. Maybe we're so fearful, so hurt, that we find it hard to hear the Spirit of God whispering in our ear. And sometimes we just prefer to stay in a safe place rather than risk the journey grace may be calling us to. All of these things and many more may be part of your Lenten journey this year. Today's story is about a man who lived in exile, fearful that he would be found out. He had fled Egypt because he had killed a man out of anger. He settled in the land of Midian. He married Jethro's daughter, had a family, tended sheep for his father-in-law, who was a well-to-do priest. Life was good. And Moses was quite comfortable He had everything he needed. He was minding his own business when he saw this strange sight. A bush was burning and burning and not being consumed by the fire. Now Moses turned aside to look, and that's when God spoke to him. Called him by name. Told him to take off his shoes because he was standing on holy ground, 
And isn't it always holy ground when we encounter God? This is holy ground. This is holy ground. Because we can encounter God. I certainly encounter the living God when I'm with you on Sunday mornings. So God says to Moses, go back to Egypt because I have heard the cries of my people and you need to arrange for their escape. Now I suspect Moses was not real keen on going back to the place where he was wanted for murder. Besides, he had some misgivings about his ability to do this task God was calling him to. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Funny, but God doesn't even respond to that question. How rude. I mean, he could have, God could have said to Moses, you'll be just fine. You're exactly the person that I'm looking for. Don't worry, nothing bad's going to happen. But no, God just simply says, I will be with you. Thus begins this amazing relationship between God and a very reluctant Moses. A relationship that resulted in the liberation of the Hebrew people. It's a story rich with clear direction from God and unmistakable signs of the presence of God. Burning bushes and pillars of fire and parted seas. Those were the good old days. What we wouldn't give for just one burning bush, right? For God to speak to us loudly and clearly in unmistakable ways. Maybe God has stopped speaking through burning bushes, but has God really stopped giving us clear direction? Or are we just so busy, so sure of our own agendas that we don't notice? We don't hear. And even if we do turn aside and look and see a burning bush, well, there's probably some reasonable explanation that will discredit that. A scientist friend of mine was telling me about a book by Colin Humphreys called The Miracles of the Exodus. In that book, Humphreys explores the story of Moses and the Exodus and from a scientific viewpoint, trying to understand what the Bible says and the miracles contained in it from a scientific perspective. He gave a plausible explanation for the burning bush. He said Moses was tending sheep in an area that contained lots of volcanoes at the time, and through tiny little fissures or holes in the rocks, volcanic gases can escape from the molten rock underneath, and sometimes those gases burst into flames. And that would certainly be true if one of those fissures came up right underneath an acacia bush, indigenous for that area. The acacia is, makes excellent charcoal because it burns so slowly rather than being immediately consumed. Done. There's a reasonable, plausible explanation for the burning bush. God will have to speak to us in some more extraordinary way because we've already figured out the burning bush scientifically. But listen, even though 
we can explain the burning bush with science, it doesn't mean that Moses didn't experience it as a profound encounter with God. For Moses, the burning bush was an experience of transcendence that changed him. It changed the direction of his life. And the result of that? Liberation for our ancestors. Renee Robison and Leighton Weiss, members of our church, had similar transcendent experiences when they walked almost 500 miles over six weeks on the Camino de Santiago in Spain last summer. They walked the way of thousands of pilgrims before them. Thousands of pilgrims. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the footsteps that had gone before them? They undoubtedly had a few burning bush experiences. They called these Camino moments, moments that were transcendent, moments that spoke volumes about something deeper that was happening than just a walk across Spain, something that touched their very souls. It could have been through a companion they met on the journey. It could have been through the scenic landscapes. It could have been the simple food that became a feast at the end of the day. Those unexpected moments of grace were like food for the journey. I'm convinced that burning bushes abound in our world. We can trust that God has not stopped speaking to us. And we can trust God to announce God's living presence using the stuff right in front of us, whether it be a bush or a bird or a person. We can train ourselves to turn aside and notice and then to be blessed by God's grace upon grace. I saw Reverend Zan Holmes at uh, the funeral yesterday. And before he retired, Dr. Holmes, you may know, was the pastor down at St. Luke Community United Methodist Church, the largest African-American church in Dallas. He, was, he is a renowned preacher. He taught homiletics at Perkins. And I remember him telling the story about his first ever sermon that he preached. He was really, really young. And at the time, he was on staff at St. Paul Methodist Church in downtown Dallas. And Dr. I.B. Loud was the pastor at that time. And if you'll recall, um, some people remember Dr. I.B. Loud. He had a powerful presence. So a Sunday morning in the congregation, and the, the, they sang the hymn that came right before the time of the sermon. And you know what happened. Dr. Loud went over to Zan and said, you're going to preach the sermon this morning. I would have just, like, I don't know what I would have done, sunk into the floor in that moment. Zan said, what? <laughs> but he knew not to argue with Dr. Ivy Loud because you didn't, you didn't do that with Dr. Ivy Loud. No one did that. So Zan stepped into the pulpit terrified 
having had no warning that this was going to happen. And later on, Zan said, you know, I had this sermon that I had started to write, but I wasn't done with it, so I started to preach it, and um, I, he didn't know what he was going to do when he got to the place where he'd stop writing his sermon. <laughs> and it was the story of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and uh, he could really relate to that in that moment. Like, God, isn't there any other way, really? <laughs> He said the sermon was really bad, and then when he got to the place where his writing had stopped, he just didn't have anything else. He prayed, God, give me words. God, what do I say? Nothing. Nothing. He looked out into the congregation, and somebody in the congregation said, Lord, help him. And his, <laughs> his wife was crying. He was shaking like a leaf, and finally had, he had enough sense to just take his seat Zan said that out of that experience, God told me something that I'll never forget. He said, God, God said to him, I'm going to show you what I can do with you, what you can do without me, what you cannot do without me. I'm going to show you what I can do with you and what you cannot do without me. If we can develop the knack for seeing burning bushes everywhere, in every face, in every moment, big or small, tiny or the large groundswell, if we can find the grace of God in those moments, if we can allow ourselves to turn aside and look for the burning bush and then to feel empowered to take the next step, We can consent to be set on fire ourselves just to see what God can do with us. So pay attention, and may it be so. Amen.